Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm talking to Lachlan McKee, a young emerging artist and curator currently studying at the Queensland College of Art. And you get a sense in this conversation that Lachlan hasn't yet latched onto what he really wants to get at with his work. And that's a good thing, really. It means he's flexible. We talk today about why he's pursuing art instead of fashion, about consideration and meditation, and about the various ways in which he approaches his and other people's work. Now, just before we begin, uh, just some regular housekeeping. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and to see how we can support you. Also, you can join our mailing list. It's worth it. And now, on to the show. There's a wood plank about three metres long in Lachlan's studio that he hangs out the open window, leveraged up against the fold-out framed glass. Inside the room, an empty bucket hangs, and Lachlan's not sure what he's going to do with it yet. He's not sure what he's going to do with the cinder block either, or the pyramid-esque tile, or the other planks of wood, or the canvas torn all down one edge, or the empty wood frames collected on the floor. But amid all these found objects, there are also resolved works, a few life drawing studies, a colour palette and a digital print of a work which I assume was produced by Lachlan in the past. It's an eclectic space, but it's measured. Everything in here is being utilised in some way. If not right now, then eventually. And if it doesn't work after all that, then it will be discarded. And now, to talk more about managing this mess, Lachlan McKay. to have money as an artist isn't it is it very difficult yeah it's a big question i think every artist thinks about that do you think do you think about that a lot like sort of the think, financial side i of... think about it too much to yeah. the point where it definitely does impact my practice how does it impact your practice it's it's this unsettling kind of when you look into the future you're not certain that you'll be able to sustain it sustain your practice and you have to look at other avenues and whether that's going to affect your practice in the long run I think yeah right so are you are you looking at sort of investing your time in other avenues sort of outside of casual retail work or um I don't at the moment the end goal is I can see myself still hopefully being financially stable in the art world just through perhaps other means like academia and even curation I'm looking at quite a bit because I think the further you go, the further you walk away from the art practice, it's difficult to come back to it. It's doable definitely, but it just has that extra strain on you. By being difficult to come back to it, do you have sort of examples of people you know who that's happened to or...? Ooh, not particularly. It's more so just when looking at other avenues that are still creative, like graphic design, which seems to be a lot of the fine artists' biggest fear. Going into that, it's hard to maintain that as a particular style and create a particular style when you're also trying to maintain something more in the fine art world. Right, so sort of like trying to keep your commercial and artistic practices separate, separate yeah when they're both tapping into maybe the same skill set yeah definitely definitely it's i'd say it's even more it's probably easier to do something completely different 
rather than in the same vein for the money and then go right back to the other side. Because a lot of it is about compromise and how far you're willing to push yourself to the commercial aspects of work because you could be signed by a gallery, but is it the work that you want to be selling? Who knows? Yeah, and and there's a lot of balancing there. And I, I think what you're sort of tapping in there with like distancing yourself from your money maybe being more distant from your art is sort of like if you're tapping into the same creative skills mm-hmm. in your work for money, then do you reckon that, that makes it harder to tap into your to tap into those same skills when you're trying to just make for yourself or for your purer practice, maybe? I'm lost on that question. Yeah, I think that question was a little rambling. Yeah. I think the point was, um, do, you, do you think it is difficult to sort of spread, to engage with the same skills in different contexts, so in a commercial definitely. context and in, and in a Definitely, I definitely think that would be an issue. It's Because you are tapping into the same part and you can't assign that compartment of wherever that energy comes from you can't assign it fully. You have to kind of break it up within that. And I don't think that's healthy. Yeah. It's, um, no, yeah. yeah. It's mud, making it a bit muddy almost. It's saying I'm um, splitting itself down the middle. It's running two horses in different directions. Jesus. <laughs> Drawn and corded, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, so your background as a creative, you work quite a lot in sort of physical, sort of quite tangible uh, tactile works. Mm-hmm. Um, were you raised by artists? Were you raised by non-artists? How did you fall into this? I wasn't raised by artists at all, but my parents did give me a lot of support going through that. I studied, went to high school at Quacky, which is a selective high school in Kelvin Grove. Um, Originally, I was doing a lot of 2D media things there, but eventually, as time went on, it start, I started fill, filling into where I wanted to be, which was with the more tactile and moving further and further away from something more, something more figurative on a piece of paper almost, though that is still a big part of my practice. I still find myself coming back to that as a, as a place, to, place to rest almost. Like, uh, so do you find engaging sort of in, in 2D, sort of less it, academically it's, en- engaging, not engaging, but straining? Yeah, I, I find it difficult to make that claim. I wouldn't want to make that claim, but it is more relaxing and I feel more able to go to a life drawing session and relax and just come back to my basis about how to look and how to see and how to engage with space. And that's why I find it such a, such a balancing and calming, it's almost meditative. Whereas when I'm working outside of that context, it's a lot more strenuous. It's, I find it a lot more difficult to find the place that works, to find that, to find where I want to be. That is when I'm working in more 3D media. Yeah, and then you answered the question that I sort of muddled up there, which was, yeah, exactly. It's sort of more instinctive maybe when you're heading into that, like you said, how you see sort of thing. Definitely, yeah. It's. I do have, yeah, I find that very interesting, your phrasing instinctive. It's definitely very instinctive. And you kind of push that onto when you're drawing a life model, you push that. I find myself 
turning these women or men into like you see animal parts or um, very instinct-driven creatures. You kind of re- let their f- their forms reflect how you're interpreting it. It's a it's a big push and pull between you and the model when that happens, and I yeah, it is very relaxing. Yeah, and and you seem to me. Like whenever I engage with you and mm-hmm. people listen to the podcast, you seem like a relatively relaxed person. Is mm. that a facade or is that? Ooh, that is a difficult question. I think. Hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna have a sip of tea while I think about that. I'll, I'll fill in the gap. <laughs> Lachlan is lifting the cup to his lips. Oh, it's still hot. Mm. <laughs> become an ASMR podcast. Mm. (laughs) I find I don't, because I know my, because I'd like to say I know myself, I wouldn't call myself relaxed, but that is probably how it comes out to the rest of the world. It's a way to, yeah, it's just, it's mm. It's it's sort of a way of, your way of engaging with the world? Almost, yeah. Because, yeah, it's not relaxed in sort of that, that detrimental way. Yeah. I know it's now it's like I'm psychoanalyzing you. Yeah. Um, I'm like, is this a psychologist? Are you a psychologist, Jonathan? I'm just a Maybe. podcast host. Okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're trapped here now. You're yeah, on, this is live, live to tape. Yeah. Um, so we were talking a bit earlier, um, sort of shift, shifting away from psychoanalyzing you. And uh, trying to find out your true nature and maybe shifting towards something a little bit more tangible and less shocking. Um, you know, we don't, we don't need to plumb the darknesses of your heart. But I was wondering, we were talking in your studio before. Um, your studio is currently filled with equal parts, almost, works that you've created and found objects. Um, and we were talking a bit about sort of the arrangement of found objects as art and sort of that, that blur maybe between curation and art making and where your practice is heading and how that fits for you. Definitely. So recently I've been walking around the streets um, because there's a curbside collection around where I'm living and I'm finding a lot of just discarded pieces of wood or frames or even pallets that I find really interesting. So I pick them up and walk them to the studio and leave them there and after a while, I see what happens to it. I make work around it and see how they engage with the work and how the how it affects the space that I'm working in because I think that's a big part of working at the house, the rooms itself, the architecture of the room. I came to that conclusion after a while of like trying to push out paintings and drawings while working in the studio where... I hadn't sat down and considered the space in which I was working. And I find placing pieces of wood or just wooden structures or even like cinder blocks around the space, it helps me understand the space a bit more and the dimensions of the space because you can't walk around the spaces freely. It's If you're placing a cinder block in the middle of the room, it 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 almost flags a point in the room and it it's almost a bit of a hurdle that you have to move around while creating a painting. So it it definitely 
comes back into the paintings, whether that's going to be it's displayed with the paintings or the drawings or whether it's in part of the process of just making this drawing. And you often, you, you talked about a fair bit in your, in your application and you talk about this in real life too, um, sort of about the idea of sort of creation as a performative act. Definitely. I feel, I find it, whenever I'm making work, it, I always find myself going back to the source point. I always try to find the, the most core thing about whether that's the material or whether that's about the creation process. So with in the house, I had to come to terms with the fact I was making work in the house. It's trying to break everything down to their most, the most core components, which is why I find a lot of interest in, in discarded materials laying around outside of houses and just the materiality of objects even. And so sort of aside from the objects that you've brought in, mm-hmm. the sheets of wood, the planks, the cinder blocks, um, what, what is it about sort of the architecture of the room in its initial form and how has it sort of shifted maybe your work or your focus within the residency? I find that the room, it, the room itself, when I walked in there, it was a pretty blank slate. There's been a few pieces left over by other artists. Um, there's a big mark on the wall, which I, I'm a big fan of. But I, it was this almost white room with no stimulus to bound off of. And I wanted to, I ended up deciding that I wanted and it felt natural to make work in conversation with the room in which I'm residing. So the, this, the cinder blocks are a bit of a how I converse with the room and make sense of the of the room by understanding the room through a shift that you make. Yeah, it's I have to engage with it through like different mediums. To, like I have to put something into it to see how it reacts to whatever that piece of material is rather than just being able to like step back and look at this empty white room or this white room with a single easel in it. Yeah, right. Rather, so do you then, do you work well in mess? Would you call this mess or would you call it something else? I would, I would call it mess. I've always actually won an award at high school to do with like, I was the messiest artist there and they made an award for me for it. It's nice of them. Yeah, it was lovely. I felt very honored. Um, I think mess is, has always been present in my life and it's this kind of rebounding between ideas and objects and doing a bit in a painting, going back to another work and coming back to the painting and seeing how that relates to the painting itself. I gravitate strongly to mess, but I'm also interested in having like a completely clean clean work slate so it's this push and pull between those two those two but usually it's ends up in mess so you like starting with a a neutral canvas yeah definitely I like I gravitate a lot more to like the grays or like the beiges more than whites because Mm. it's it's easier to work with it I think it's it becomes its own entity the white is very is very very dark and difficult to comprehend whereas working with a gray or a beige it means you have a texture to start with or definitely even if it's some even if it's a piece of paper with marks that have already been left on it I can like build off of that rather than just having nothing there 
So I'll have carrying like a piece of paper around with me for three months. Eventually, inevitably, there'd be a few marks on it. And that's when I start the work. It has to be, has to have already something inherent in it. Right. And, and you, speak, you speak about that a lot too in sort of, again, to reference your application, but you, you talk a lot about, and you talked a lot in this podcast as well, about push and pull, mm. about the idea of sort of relation between sort of artists and artwork and artwork and audience. Do you, are you, when you're creating, thinking about audience experience or is it, is it, is it more so embedded in the, the, the pure performance for you? I think I'd be able to separate those into two. I, when I'm creating, it's a conversation between me and the work. And then when the audience become, is present, it becomes a conversation between them and the work. But I am always, always conscious of the audience. Um, it's a big part of how I make art, whether, like, whether that's for better or worse. Um, there's... I'm very conscious of how things will be set up and the distance between the audience and the work and even within the canvas, the empty space in the canvas and how that relates to all the other objects. Um, it all came about when I was first working with Bitumen and the, there's an experiment at UQ where they've set up this um, a funnel it's more high tech than just a funnel, but they've put bitumen in it and seeing how often it drops and it's extending, like the intervals between how often it drops it has been extending. So originally it was like, I think it was every seven years and then like it becomes every eight years and it's just this material that's right between a solid, something solid and something liquid. And so I worked with bitumen for a bit, exploring that relation between something solid and something more ambiguous and empty and that that has almost set up a framework from a point of reference for me to always refer back to because because it's or it's like even a work that doesn't have bitumen in it is still a push and pull between something that's more empty and something that's more full which is why I'm a big fan of leaving just canvases with like a lot of empty space because it allows the audience to actually allows the audience a way into the work almost it gives them some space to play around with and consider everything whereas if it's all full and it's all there it's not interesting anymore they, there needs to be a conversation between the person and the um and the work it comes back also to the Japanese fashion designers, which I've been very, very influenced by, and their concept of ma, which mm -hmm. is the importance they place on space in between things. It's it's respecting the it's respecting space in between things, I think, more than anything. Yeah, and yeah, look, the the Japanese um have yeah, the, the concept of ma has been around, yeah, years and years and years, and mm. it's it is one of, I think, the most valuable, sort of the more you read about it as an artist mm -hmm. in, any, in any medium, I think. Yeah, it's super, super valuable. But you mentioned fashion designers and you are clearly conscious of the way you dress. I am, yeah. I am. So I did study fashion design for six months after high school um, based off of mostly off of these Japanese comme des garçons, Yoji Yamamoto and the way they played with 
empty space. And it seemed like a tangible way for people to be interacting with kind of shapes and objects you make. It it really excites me, the interaction between someone and a shape. Um, and yeah, but it it didn't really work out. I came back to art and I'm all, and I'm still into the experience between people and shapes and objects, but more in if there's canvases involved now. Why didn't it work out between you and fashion? I'm not too sure. It's something that I've thought about a lot, but it I think it came down to a the rigidness that's very apparent in fashion. It's a um sitting on a sewing machine for hours and hours wasn't wasn't for me it didn't it you didn't it wasn't it didn't let chance happen very much because if you let chance happen you've gotten like you've you don't have a sleeve anymore it's it's not as open to chance and it became very apparent that I was wasn't not that I wasn't interested there but I was more interested in how how like the concepts behind the clothes I was making. And in my first critique, the I'd say it was, it was a nice comment, but she was like, you do belong in art school rather than fashion. And I kind of took that hint and I was like, okay, I know where you're coming from, but yeah. Do you see a strong relationship between art and fashion? There's a lot of interesting works happening at the moment where they do integrate art and fashion together but I don't think fashion can ever escape the the more commercial world because it is the end point is a runway which may be more creative but how that gets watered down to ready to wear clothes I don't think it can ever a designer can't ever stop thinking about that and whilst there can be more experimental pieces on the market it's 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 limited by its utilitarianness definitely which is also a very interesting point like the utilitarianness is very i think you'd have to yeah you have to respect that as a designer you'd have to but it's an interesting point to bounce off of between like this massive swooping um piece of fabric and then oh this has to be something someone can actually put on and it has to protect them from the sun and it has to everything that a good piece of wood clothing can do, like not intervene too much with their daily life. But I also think it is interesting once clothes start making wearers more more alert of their surroundings and how they use their arms or how they use their body. And um, sort of further on from that, and sort of maybe a sort of loaded question based on sort of what we just sort of agreed on. Do you, do you think art has a use? Or that art has to have a use or that there is maybe art that is useful or isn't? I don't know. I think I'll have to speak on that personally. Yeah, because, of course. Yeah, okay. Everything you say is you speaking definitely. personally. That's how speaking works. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so I think... I absolutely, there's a very calming quality to art and walking into a gallery and I'm a big fan of the white box space. I, whether that may cause controversy or not, I do think there's a therapeutic quality about it 
And I think I point to that more so than anything political that art may be able to do. Um, Not saying that art cannot be successfully political and used as a way to motivate change, but I see I... The use I use art more so for a therapeutic reason and a way to also or almost as a meditative place to think about yourself and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the in the way where you sort of use someone else's work about the world as a vessel for self connection, and you use creation in the same way but reversed. Definitely, definitely. Um. So, but we were talking earlier, sort of about you wanting to sort of and you know speaking on the white box is actually quite a nice way to move forward sort of we were speaking about maybe a shift in your career from or or in your focus Hmm. because obviously still young shifting careers it's a bit premature right for any of us Hmm. um but a shift in your focus from art to curator yeah definitely so even a lot of the art that i'm making now happen it it find it really finds itself in the presentation of it. I think it finds itself once the viewer's there, once there's space around it to be considered. Um, and I think I've been more interested in developing that that how to arrange things in spatial awareness rather than it makes me more excited than sitting for hours and hours and look trying to perfect a, a single painting or something of that nature it it's more exciting when there when there's other people to look at it and when there's when there's a space to consider it in it always has to relate to the space in which it's going to be presented i think that's a very big very big point. So do you enjoy the collaborative aspect? Do you enjoy working with other artists? Or I'm going to have to say no. I don't I've never created good work when working with other people, but it yeah, I I have tried to do collaborative things even if it's just sitting in the same room doing separate works. It never pans out. I love talking to people about art, but there's a certain point where I think I need to cut off other people's opinions and just say, okay, I need to do what I think's right now, which is a difficult point to come to because, of course, some sometimes other people are right. That's a yeah. thing that could happen. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's never happened to me. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you, are you jealous of artists who maybe have those collaborative relationships or, or, is it, or are you quite content sort of just... On your own, Lachlan Lonesome? I think moving into curation would 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 perhaps... Necessitate? Necessitate relationships between um, other artists, which is more exciting because I think just painting alone in a studio isn't for me all day, every day. I need to be able to have some somewhere to play with ideas with other with other people and like push them out and yeah talk to them about it and with I think I'd go crazy if I just was sitting in a studio all day and painting that's yeah that's the bottom line I think but yeah 
Is that the question? Yeah, that was the question. That was the question. Yeah, that was totally the question. So in order to diversify your practice, sort of shifting sort of, yeah, your art creation and your curation, but how are you going to do that? Or how, how, how would you do that while still avoiding sort of what we were talking about earlier about sort of that uh, similar split to sort of graphic design and fine artists? I see it. I see my work is, I see something, it's, I see a bigger similarity between the work that I'm making and curation because then, then not, yeah, they're not as split up as say graphic design and, and a fine artist. I think, um, it's, I find it, yeah, very, very related, which maybe just be, maybe because of my inexperience inexperience in things such as curation but from what I can see that it is more linked it's coming from the same place I think yeah I I I would I mean I would agree yeah I think I think a lot of it comes from arrangement and I think like you were saying about sort of the arrangement on the on the canvas you Mm. know leaving space there like that's as much an artistic decision as it is a curatorial Mm. one I think yeah and it's hard to split that down the middle and see what part is curation and art, which, which is what is the most exciting, which is why I think curation can definitely lead into art making practice and vice versa. And I think I was talking to Calum, who's in the other room just now, about this the other day, about how sort of with the rise of postmodernism and sort of maybe drifting away from that now as we sort of shift into new sincerity or metamodernism mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. we want to call what's emerging, um, it, it, it almost due to sort of appropriation and whatnot being sort of a key element of what contemporary art has been for 40 years, the, the split between curation and creation has almost infinitely blurred, it seems. Definitely. That seems to be the, the biggest problem of our, what artists are trying to look to at the moment, just how everything is blurred and trying to trying to split things maybe we don't need to split things back into like solid categories but it it's a messy it's quite a messy place i think at the moment how exactly what you were saying about how everything has become blood is that exciting or is it frightening or is it daunting maybe for you personally yeah um because I do like having things in separate boxes. It's I like having being able to say this is this is painting, this is drawing, and being able to keep them there. But sometimes cross pollination between things and hybridity between two mediums is it does become successful. But there's this. I'm going to sound like an absolute wanker when I say this, but Not there's a it. purity that is missing when as soon as you introduce two different things together, which which may be nice purity like it could be a nice sense of purity or it may not be you're gonna meet uh someone later when we go to dinner yeah uh, this is totally dating the podcast <laughs> but um aaron who you might have met sort yeah of around have, here. yeah wow. he hates he he hates things being taken out of boxes he yeah. was we were at a particular art exhibition mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um no 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 and i works that i quite liked he despised simply because there was it was a painting that had text on the canvas. Yeah. It It's all right if you want to avoid being inflammatory. I don't want to be inflammatory, <laughs> but like that's my job apparently in this podcast. <laughs> Which I think I'd be 
it'd be very hypocritical of me to say that that it's invalid because I'm just thinking about my work, which is in like the studio two doors down. And there's like a piece of canvas being squashed by a cinder block. And that isn't pure at all, but, um, it, I, I mean, it's ultimately not about maybe validity, but about taste. It is probably, yeah, it is about taste. And I think that's a very important factor, which people seem to disregard too easily that taste can be, that can be the end of any argument. It's just, oh, I prefer this for whatever reason it is. It's whatever seems most authentic to a person, which I think is a very, maybe not, it's not a logical way to look at things, but it's a very, um, it seems right in certain contexts. I think I think particularly sort of with um, art and, you know, especially with things like music, like you hit a point where you sort of, like I often try to divide up in my head where I go, well, I know, I know this thing is good, but I don't like it. Yeah. And you can sort of reconcile those two things where you go, no, I understand the aesthetic mm-hmm. joy of, say, some of Christopher Nolan's films, mm-hmm. but they're not for me they're not for you and it's i think that's the point where you need to, i personally think it, it is the best to sit at where you can you can recognize maybe it's even the technical technical skills in it um but you can't just go around willy-nilly liking nothing because then you just be, you, you just become a curmudgeon yeah you just become a big sponge with no no sharp point no Nothing of your own, I think. And no, no one wants either. No, eventually, people are going to disengage from someone with with no positive sort of balancing out their negative opinions, right? Definitely. Like you have to have a value that you stand behind in order to disregard other values. Yes, definitely. And um, to like to be allowed to criticize things, I think you need to be able to also be excited by things. I think it's the worst when you go to an art gallery and there's someone that walks around and looks at things and I hate that, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. And it's kind of what, well, what do you like? And what are you here looking for? Yeah. It's more exciting when people, there's more of an energy when people are excited about things rather than intensely dislike things, which it could still be interesting to see why they really dislike it. But it's it's hard when it's a broken record. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I I I, w- I, w- I would agree strongly. I mean, I think I I actually tend to be on sort of the side that there should probably be more open criticism in Brisbane's art scene. Mm-hmm. I think because it's quite homogenous and because it's quite small, I think we're all a bit terrified because who knows when we'll be working with or for someone, right? Yeah, we're, yeah. we're ten seconds away from that happening at any <laughs> given time. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, I guess it is also just being polite to people like yes. that trying to do something. And also at this age that I'm at where looking at other artists that are around the same age, emerging artists, they, they're still searching and it wouldn't feel right to be starting to criticize something without any, like without any play constructive yes. things to say. Oh, about you, it. You ha- I think you, I think you are obliged when when someone is showing work, particularly when they're not showing work that they're being paid for, definitely, yeah. I think you're you're obliged to be constructive. Yeah, um, I think that's part of the social contract almost mm. that you enter when you enter into a space where someone is presenting for free. Yeah, 
Um, I think the, the social construct is that if you're going to be negative, you'd better be providing something too, because hmm. if they're providing something for free, then you should as well. Otherwise you're breaking the social contract. And then I think that's where it becomes rude. It's no yeah. longer polite. Yeah. But yeah. we also should, you know, it's also rude in a way to, to lie to someone about whether their work is good because you perpetuate that for too long and then hmm. they're out of and the space where they have to fail. Yeah, it is scary after art school, but so far when I've been, the criticism has been very valid. It's been, you should try this because once they get out and if they've just been said, this is good, this is good, and they're trying to find representation, I I think that full, that's where art school has failed without saying this is, you should at least try something else, try this. Um, it's there to better your work. Mm. Just saying something's good all the time isn't going to get that get that result. No, and uh, I'll always tell you when your work is shit. Thank you. <laughs> I hope so. I look forward to it. <laughs> Probably don't look forward to it. <laughs> hey, it's been really good to sit and talk to you. Definitely. Um, where can people find you online? Oh, probably my Instagram, at Lachlan McKee. Easy. And what are you going to do next? What's up for you after the House Conspiracy Residency? Oh, after uh, I'm looking at an internship at a museum, hopefully at Griffith Museum. Wonderful. I'll see whether that falls through and just continuing making work, continuing with uni and seeing how life goes, I guess. I can't wait to see what you do next and what your first curatorial projects are going to look like. Cool. Thank you for speaking today. That's all right. (laughs) Thank you for being an excellent guest. The House Conspiracy Podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org donate, and you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>